Merry Christmas. Can I ask a favor as we get started? I got two of you to agree to let me ask. All right. Here's my favor. If you've been with us for a while, you know that our worship minister, Ben, and his wife, Caitlin, and their little baby, Jack, are in Cincinnati at children, the Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, and that's where they're spending Christmas this year. But I think they're probably watching during this service. So on the count of three, can we say Merry Christmas to Ben, Caitlin, and baby Jack? All right. Are you ready for that? All right. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. Some of you kept going with the Ben, Caitlin, Jack. I didn't. Well, yeah, sorry. We love you guys. And I don't normally look at the camera, but we miss you. And Merry Christmas to all three of you. I'm going to pray for us and we'll get started today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and to give your son the praise that he's due. Father, we thank you that as we open your word, we know that man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. And Father, we know that when we read your word, we hear your voice. So would you give us ears to hear this Christmas Eve? And we ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Three people are standing at the Grand Canyon, taking in this marvelous landscape. And it's hitting them in three different ways. Three people are an artist, a preacher, and a cowboy. All right? As they're looking at this, taking in the marvel of the Grand Canyon, the artist is thinking to himself, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like it. I wonder how I could capture this landscape on a canvas if I painted it. And the preacher's thinking, this is such a testimony to the work of God, the handiwork of God in his creation. God spoke this into being. I feel like singing out how great thou art. But the cowboy's got this sneer on his face. He's not looking happy. The other two look like they were happy, but the cowboy's like, I'm not too pleased with this. He's looking at it, and he's thinking to himself, ugh, what a horrible place to lose a cow. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me. Merry Christmas, all right? <laughs> I do think that that's a picture of what Christmas can be like. Here's what I mean. This night, when we come to look at this incredible story, doesn't hit everyone the same way. Many of us in the room, we're here because it's Christmas Eve, and that's what you do on Christmas Eve. You come to church, and we come with our family members, and we know that we come here, and then afterwards we're going to go do part of our traditions, and we'll go to bed, and we'll wake up, and we'll do more of our traditions, and we'll have this great season, this great moment in our family time together, and that's why you're here, and we're glad that you're here, and you're looking at the Christmas story from a certain perspective. Others, this might be the very first time that you've stepped into a church in a long time, if ever. This might be the first time you've been to church. And so for you, I, I can remember that. I didn't grow up in church. And I can remember the first time I came to a Christmas Eve service and just everything feeling so weird. I didn't understand the music. I didn't understand what they were really talking about. I didn't understand why everybody got so excited about this, this birth. And so you're here and you're looking at it from a different perspective, trying to take all of this in and you're seeing it different maybe than the person even seated next to you. And then there's others. You've been celebrating Christmas for years and years, and you look forward to this time of year every year because it puts this sensation in your heart as you think about the whole course of human history changing with the birth of this baby and the difference it made in your life. And you love celebrating his first coming because it stirs in you this affection for his final coming. And so you're looking at Christmas from a different perspective too. And everybody in the room comes and looks at a night like this from a different perspective. 
But there is something, I think, that puts us all on the same playing field. It's something that the Bible speaks to that's going to make all the perspectives kind of come together and answer a question for us. It's a question that all those different perspectives have to wrestle with every Christmas. Why does this matter? I mean, really. Why does Christmas matter? There's a lot of passages in the Bible that we could go to to discuss why Christmas matters. As a matter of fact, what Brian read for us, the Jesus Storybook Bible, I too would recommend you get a copy of it, tells us that every story in Scripture points to the answer to our question, why Christmas matters. But for our purposes tonight, I want to turn to two passages in John's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab it. You can open up or turn your device on and get to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat, underneath the seat that's in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, with all sincerity, that's our gift to you. Take that. Merry Christmas. Open it up. The Gospel of John's in the New Testament. And so second half of your Bible, flip it uh, open beyond halfway through, and you should be able to find John chapter 1. And we're going to start with facing a problem that John's going to put before us, but he's also going to give us the solution. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, John writes these words. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Here's the problem that this is presenting. It uses a metaphor to teach us. This is a pretty popular metaphor in the pages of the Bible. You're going to see it all over the place if you read through the Bible, particularly in your New Testament, and even more particularly in John's writings. He loves this metaphor of light and darkness. The light in the metaphor that the Bible uses represents the presence of God, meaning you can be in his presence because he is the light. And so everything in the light represents the presence of God, meaning when we were created, the Bible talks about when we were created, God spoke the light into being and God himself was that light and we could be with him in a personal relationship with God because we were able to be in the light. The story of the Bible tells us, though, that through our own decisions, our own choices, what the Bible calls sin, we chose to get out of the light and go into what the Bible calls darkness. Then darkness in the metaphor represents everything outside of the presence of God. Everything that cannot be in the presence of God is considered darkness. And what happens in the metaphor is, spiritually speaking, our souls go dark because God can't be in the darkness and our sin, that's what we chose to do. We chose to be in the darkness. Now, John is saying here in John chapter 1, the Christmas story is about God deciding to shine a light into the darkness that we created. God's saying, my light is going to be more powerful than the darkness. And he shines this light through Jesus coming, the very presence of God, the light of God coming into the dark world that had abandoned him. An invitation is sent of sorts to step out of the darkness and into the light. But here's our problem. It's found in verses 10 and 11 of John chapter 1. So even though the light was shining into the darkness, even though Jesus was born, even though the invitation was sent to everyone in the darkness, even though those of us who have lived in our own shame and our own guilt and the filth of our own sin, distanced from God, thinking how could he ever love us, even though that invitation was sent to us, that you can step out of the darkness and into the light. It says the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, meaning he created us. And the world did not receive him, did not receive that invitation that was sent. 
It's an interesting word that is used by John when it says, did not recognize him. It's the Greek word gnosko. Would you say gnosko with me? Gnosko. It means to be in relationship with, to know deeply. A little more than head knowledge. It actually impacts your life. The type of knowledge where you come to a very deep understanding. And so what John is saying is, even though the light shone into the darkness, even though an invitation had been sent, people still did not know God. It's a pretty profound question. One that if you've been to a lot of Christmas Eve services, you might just hear me say and just kind of blow over. But I think it's one of the more important questions we could ask every year we come to Christmas. Do you know him? I mean, do you really know God? Do you have a relationship with him? The Barna Group does research uh, around the church in multiple different areas, and they pile statistics based on trends and decisions uh, that people participate in. Recently, they did a study, and the results of the study came back that said that of all the people sitting in evangelical churches, 44% of them are not Christians. 44% of the people who consistently attend church, meaning there's 44% of the people that come to church who think that they're okay and they're not. 44% of people think that they might have stepped into the light, but really they're living in darkness. 44% of people that think that just because they come and participate in religious activity, I mean, they might put money in the box and give to a special thing that the church is doing. They attend church every Sunday morning. They tolerate, tongue-in-cheek, a 30-minute sermon, all right, because they need to get to open in some presents. I get it. But they listen to a sermon, participate in some religious activities, and they think, I'm good to go. What the Barna Group is researching is that that's not true. They think that on, my, on judgment day, when I die and I face God, I should be fine because I've participated in all these activities. But that's not the truth. The truth is found in the words of Jesus. You remember his words in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus says on that day, on judgment day, many people, meaning there's a lot of people who think that they might be in the light when really they're in the darkness, many people will come to me and they will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not serve people in your name? Did we not do all kinds of activities for you in your name? And Jesus says, I'll say to them, depart from me. You're not welcome here. You can't be here. You can't be in my presence. You know why? He says, because I didn't know you. In other words, you didn't take the time to get to know me. It's not hard to fall into that trap. Think about it. Two examples from the Bible. The first, James, the brother of Jesus. For 30 years, he shared a home with Jesus. I think about it. I mean, for 30 years, he grew up with the Son of God being his brother. For 30 years, he shared potentially a bedroom and a house with him. He sat at the same table. For 30 years, he went to work and to school and, and participated in activities with Jesus. And for 30 years, face-to-face, -face, as close physical proximity that you could get to him, and he missed it. He didn't know who he was. For 30 years, he was convinced he was doing just fine. I'm a good Jewish boy. I attend the synagogue every week. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Me and God should be good. And for 30 years, he missed it. Until he came to realize later who his brother was. Or consider the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. One of the most profound verses in all of the New Testament to me is found in the book of Acts. It's right after Paul meets. Paul's telling his own testimony about the time where he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's blinded and he's knocked down and he gets up. And there's this humble servant named Ananias. It's a fascinating story. God says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go and tell Paul. You know, Paul, the guy that's killing all the Christians. And Ananias is probably thinking to himself, how about I kill him? Let's go on that mission. 
all right? And God's like, no, you're going to go and you're going to share with him. And so he baptizes him. And as he's cleaning up his wounds, he has this profound statement he says to him in Acts chapter 22, verse 14, where he says, Paul, the God of our ancestors, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know him. And you think, wait, of all the people in the Bible that would have known God, it would have been Paul. I mean, if you know much about the Apostle Paul's story, you know that Paul grew up at the top of his class in a religious school. He studied under the top religious teacher of the day, Gamaliel. And as he studied under Gamaliel, he rose to the top of his class and became a Pharisee, meaning he dedicated his life to studying God. And not only studying God, being able to teach other people about God. If anybody had accomplished what was needed to know God, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And here's this humble servant, Ananias, telling him, Paul, your whole life you've been on this track. And you've been doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing what you think was the right thing. But the whole time you've been on the wrong road. You've been going down the wrong path. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Could that happen to us? I mean, could we go through the motions of Christmas Eve after Christmas Eve? We come to church, we listen. I could tell you everything you need to know about Jesus and yet not know him. Could it happen to us where we just completely miss having a thriving, real relationship with the living God, accepting the invitation in our dark soul to the light that he has made available to us? Could we miss it? Can I confess something to you on Christmas Eve? There are times where I miss it. I mean, I'm a preacher. You could say, I get paid to have a relationship with God. Get paid to study God's word. Get paid to lead Bible studies and prayer times and preach sermons and write sermons. And yet there are times where I study the Bible simply to prepare for a sermon, not to engage with the creator. And there are times where I get asked to pray in all kinds of different environments. I mean, every party I've ever been to, guess who they asked to pray? (laughs) And yet that prayer is simply words, not me connecting with my heavenly father. I guess I would tell you that there are times in my life where I'm a full-time preacher, but a part-time follower. You see, this is why Christmas is so important. We need this reminder. We need it. In the midst of all the chaos and everything else that's going on around us, we need this reminder that God came into the world so that we could know him. Do you know the difference between knowing all about somebody and actually knowing them? Think about it this way. I could tell you so much about this guy here on the screen. Wardell Stephen Curry. Okay? I could tell you a ton about him. I could tell you that he was born in March of 1988 in Akron, Ohio, at the same hospital that LeBron James was born in. Fun fact. Should, somebody should be famous from that. Spent most of his childhood in North Carolina. Attended a Christian school. Was pretty short uh, and not really well built. But, man, he could shoot after he spent an entire summer working on his jump shot. Coming out of this Christian school, he wasn't recruited by any big schools. Nobody wanted him. So he settled on a small school called Davidson. Had a breakout NCAA tournament where the whole world took notice. And since then, he's done all right in the NBA. (laughs) His wife's name is Aisha. He's got three kids and he lives in California. Look, it's creepy how much I could tell you about this guy. My son's a big fan. 
but I don't know him. Never shared a table with him. I've never had a conversation with him. I don't have any inside jokes with him. He wouldn't recognize me from anyone else in the world. See, I could tell you all about the guy. And there's no relationship, no connection whatsoever. Does this not describe how many of us have experienced Christmas? I could tell you all about it. I could tell you where Jesus was born. I could tell you the likelihood that it was in a courtyard in the house. It wasn't in an inn, and it was built into the cave in the back. of. I could go through all the facts and tell you everything there is about the birth of Jesus. He was born to his mother, who was a virgin. It was a crazy story, and he came, and then he went, and he died on a cross, and he died. I could tell you everything about it, but not know him. Not know him at all and have no vibrant, real connection to him. But let me encourage you a little bit. You might be thinking, well, man, if I got to know everything about him just to know him, you don't. Here's the beauty of it. You don't need to know a lot to have an intimate relationship with him. You just got to step into the light. That's the beauty of it. Look, it's true. You don't have to know everything about somebody to be intimately connected to him. Think about it like this. I have four children. Think about when my children were two years old. They didn't know much about me. My two-year-olds couldn't have told you where I grew up. They didn't know my high school mascot. They didn't know where I went to college or where I went to seminary. They couldn't have told you even where I worked, even though they came here every week. They probably, at two years old, couldn't have told you where I worked. They couldn't have tell you, told you my favorite sports team or my favorite food. But I think there's a small exception for my daughter, Abigail. I think she could have told you my favorite food because she was born with the same love for mac and cheese that I have, okay? But they couldn't have told you much about me. But man, they knew me from all the wrestling matches. Well, I held them and watched cartoons like Cars seven million times. From me wiping the tears off their face when they were hurt. And even in the moments where I had to discipline them because they were learning something about the heart of their father and how deeply I loved them. You see, they didn't know a lot about me, but they knew me because they were in a deep, real flourishing relationship with their father. Friends, this is why Christmas matters. It is a reminder to us that Jesus came so that we could know God, not go through a bunch of religious activity and traditions, but to connect with the heart of our creator, to be intimately known by him and connect to him as we grow each and every day. And look at how Jesus describes it. Jesus describes on the night before he dies, he describes the reason why he was born. And he describes it in an intimate way. In John chapter 17, if you fast forward in your Bible just a little bit, Jesus will say these words on the night that he was betrayed. He says these words. He says, this is eternal life. Meaning, this is what's more important than anything else in your life. This is what the purpose of my life is. This is why I was born. Or to answer our question, this is why Christmas matters. That they may know you. Same word, gnosko. That they may have a deep understanding of the heart of their father. They may know you, the one true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you sent. This is the reason for Christmas. We have to slow down enough to realize that, though. In January of 2007, a man sat at the metro station in Washington, D.C. He sat up with a violin. It was a cold January morning, and he played six Bach pieces. You'll see it on a video that plays in the background here. Let's go down on the volume so they hear me a little bit. Thanks. (laughs) 
He played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. And during that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that about 1,100 people will walk by him as he's playing this music. Listen to some of the stats. After about three minutes of playing, a man slightly slowed his pace, turned his head toward him, but kept walking. A minute later, the violinist received his first tip. A woman threw a dollar in there, but did not slow her pace as she walked by. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but when they looked at their watch, they realized they had to keep going, and so they keep going. The one who paid the most attention to him playing violin was a three-year-old little boy, but only long enough for his mom to push him hard enough to keep on walking. As a matter of fact, as you watch these videos, you learn that the people that paid the most attention to him were children, but only long enough for their parents to push him on to keep going without fail. In the 45 minutes that the man played, only six people stopped and stayed a while. 20 of them gave him money, and he made $32 that day. When he finished playing and silence took over the, tri- the, the, tri- the station, one person recognized that the violin player was Joshua Bell, the most famous violin player on the planet. And he was playing one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a Stradivarius violin worth $3.5 million. The night before in Boston, he sold out a theater where the nosebleed seats went for $150 a pop. Here's the point. You can be in the presence of greatness and not even realize it. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Look, tomorrow morning, would you do me a favor? When you wake up, would you have a lot of fun? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Open presence. Take in your traditions. Be grateful. But would you slow down long enough to remember what all this was for so that we could know God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of Christmas. That no matter what perspective we have on this night, whether we're experiencing true darkness of the soul during this Christmas season where it's hard to see with clarity what the point is all about, where we are walking through a season of joy and celebration, Father, would you help us slow down a little bit? Would you help us remember whose presence we're in? Would you help us remember that a bright light shone into the darkness and an invitation was sent for us to step from the darkness into the glorious light of your presence, to be in communion with you and have relationship with you. Help us to remember that in the midst of all of the traditions and the song and the presence and the fun and the food and the family time, that the purpose of this time is to remember that Jesus came that we might know you the one true God, and Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you sent. We ask you for this in his name and all God's people said. Let's stand and worship.